0: Welcome to Digital Marketing for Financial Planners, the podcast where you learn which digital marketing strategies are working best for advisors. We interview financial planners who share what is working or not for their practice. Here is your host, Jake Wagner.
1: Hello, and welcome to Digital Marketing for Financial Planners. This is your host, Jake Wagner. And on today's show, we have Joseph Kuo. Joseph is an expert in what we call motivational interviewing, and he has a lot of dynamic information to share with us on today's show. Joseph, welcome. How are you doing today?
0: I am excellent. Thank you for inviting me to a podcast.
1: It's an honor. I've been uh, thinking about having you on the show for a while, and uh, now that we have the second season going, I'm really glad to have you be a part of it.
0: Thank you.
1: So a part of why I wanted to bring you on today is that I've learned about this technique that you've been bringing to your clients, both through Money Quotient, and then also last week, you taught at the Purposeful Planning Institute conference. And could you just share with the audience, what is this motivational interviewing thing?
0: Yeah, motivational interviewing. So by a little bit of a a background, motivational interviewing was something that was originally developed. In the substance abuse arena, and so the founders who developed the technique, Bill Miller and Steve Ronick, they were, frankly, they were young practitioners then, not sure what to do, and they end up just listening to clients, and through the experience, figure out some things, realizing that in listening to clients, they're able to have more impact when the clients felt heard than when experts start giving information, and so. One characteristic of motivational interviewing, the belief, is that clients already know a lot, clients have the wisdom within them, and that frequently when we are pushing for the clients to do something, human beings' natural response for wanting autonomy causes or invokes a pushback from the client. So to give you an example, in the arena they were in within substance abuse, when somebody is needing to, say, quit smoking, or quit drinking for health reasons, usually the client already knows why they ought to quit smoking, for example. When an expert tells them about all the health risks, other issues associated with smoking, it's not as if the client doesn't know. In those moments, right, if you think about the proverbial angels and devils in the client's shoulders, in those moments when the expert take on the voice of the angel, And this struggle has been existing within client for a long time. The client start taking on the role of the devil's advocate when it's as if the client is thinking, well, you don't really know what I'm going through. You don't realize that I've thought through all the things that you've been saying already. And here are the reasons why what you're saying doesn't work for me. And so if you will, the client start articulating for themselves why they can't quit. And the more they say it, the more they come to believe in it for themselves. And part of motivational interviewing is a process through which we accept clients of where they are. We don't take on the roles of advocating for what it is that they must do. Rather, we listen to accept, and through a guided process, we evoke within the client themselves why it is for themselves that they must stop the harmful activities that they're doing.
1: Wow. Okay. So can you share a bit with the audience about, well, you are a financial advisor when you're talking about clients, what kind of clients are you working with? And even actually, could you share a little bit about how you became a financial advisor and just how all that process blossomed and came together?
0: Uh, Yeah. Thank you for asking that. My personal history is I have a very, in some way, up and down complex relationship with money. When I was born, I was born to a family that didn't have a lot of wealth, but my father started his own business and fairly quickly, the business became successful. So I would say that for most of my growing, developing years, the family is actually fairly wealthy. And then came the dot-com bubble, followed by 9-11. A lot of what's happening in the, the industry in the world actually resulted in the company going bankrupt. And so I came from having very little when I was born to having a good amount of financial security to not having much financial security again. And then at that point, worked my way in corporate finance up to a senior director of finance. And again, enjoying the financial kind of compensation at that point in time. And then having at that point, making a decision, a very difficult decision that I didn't like the life that I had and wanting to make a change to something that is much more fulfilling and resonate with my mission in life much more. And so having to make make that decision to leave something certain, to come into financial planning and ultimately to start my own firm. And the reason why motivation interviewing had played a part into this is that I was fortunate enough to have worked with a financial advisor who was a financial life planner. And she has helped me with a lot of kind of internal exploration of what my vision of wealth, what my vision fulfillment, what are the things that will bring me joy in my life and what are some of the fears that is keeping me from those joys. And this process helped got me to a place where I was finally able to make that transition and overcome my fear into pursuing the calling that I am experiencing now and diving into some of the tools that can help clients sometimes make difficult decisions, but make it in a way that is aligned with their values and they can make it with integrity.
1: Can you just uh, expand on that a little bit? It sounds like there's a bunch of tools and, and just really the core of the motivational interviewing approach.
0: Yeah. What? I have experienced since I come into the field of financial planning is that I frequently run into clients that may have achieved success in life, whether that's business or whether they have achieved a certain level that they were aiming for. But at this point in time, they are earning a good amount of money or they have a good amount of savings in the bank. And there's a sense that they should have things figured out. (laughs) that they may be coming to a financial advisor for some expert advice on how to properly manage money, how to do financial projection on how much money they need to save so that they can retire. But they're struggling with, I have a lot of wealth now or I'm making good income now, but I'm still stressed about financial decisions I'm having to make. I'm still stressed about what might happen tomorrow. I'm having discord with my family member, maybe my spouse, about making financial decisions together. Or I may have concern about the legacy that I want to create for my children in such a way that they become responsible members of society. And there's a lot of internal judgment for the clients on what they should be doing and also how they are going to... There's uh, there's questions within the client of how they should be doing and a... Maybe self-judgment around they should know these things because they're smart enough, they're successful, but they don't really know how to get it done. And motivational interviewing is about creating a safe space with clients where, in those moments, they're able to express their values. They're able to express what is true for them in deeper and deeper level to come to the core of why something is so important. And if they are able to dig into the values and the needs they're trying to express, for a moment, take the strategy of what they think needs to happen in order for them to get to that core value. Put aside for a moment the strategy they believe that they need and just focus on articulating and really understanding for themselves what is the value and what is the need that they're trying to express. And then from there, just come back to think about what might be a strategy that can help you meet those needs in a way that can serve you, can serve your loved ones, right? In the case of spouses, both spouses' needs are expressed and they can work together on figuring out what might be a strategy that can serve both needs. In those moments, people can start thinking and making decisions not from a place of fear, not from a place of guilt, but from a place of this is who I am, this is what I want to express, this is how I want to show up in the world, and what would be a best way for me to do that so that I feel good about myself and I can be be consistent with my actions, I can be committed to my approach. I am now motivated to do these things because I'm doing them out of the vision I have for the future rather than the fear that I'm trying to run away from.
1: So to make sure I understand you correctly, a part of just what happens as a result of doing motivational interviewing is that when you're talking to clients, this is a different way of speaking, a different way of communicating and asking questions that allows that client to, to not just feel heard, but to also find solidarity and internal understanding in their decisions so that that way as they're making decisions going forward, the advisor helped and the advisor helped get that understanding. But when the advisor's not there, or even you know, back to the substance abuse situation with this came out of, the person still has the resolve and the solidarity to follow through with their commitments and with what they told their advisor because of the re- how this process works and how people feel after going through it.
0: Yes. At the moment, through this process, when the client's making a decision, they're making the decision for their own reasons, and they're agreeing to a process. They're agreeing to a commitment for their own reasons rather than for the advisor's reasons. So you can think of this in the realm, in one sport that, sport that comes up as an analogy is in curling, where mm-hmm. somebody pushes the puck or... What, I'm not sure what they're called, the stone.
1: I don't know. Yeah, I know <laughs> what they look like. Yeah. Right. <laughs> in the and, and when, you,
0: when you remember those things that we only see in the Olympics is that when somebody pushes the thing, there's people on the side that's frantically brushing the debris out of the way. They're not pushing on it anymore. They just clean the debris so that the stone can travel as far as it can.
1: Mm-hmm, to change the trajectory sort of a thing, pointing the channel and changing the trajectory to get to where you want to go. Yeah, yes, but it's, it, it's in a way where we're brushing the debris out
0: of the way rather than pushing or pulling the client. So the clients talk themselves into doing the things that they want to do and into making the commitments they're making. So I am not trying to get the clients to do something the clients are convincing themselves that in order for them to get to where they want to go, or it is in a part of their core that they want to do this. And so now they're self-motivated to get this done.
1: So how do we do it? How can you, can we share a little bit with the audience of what this communication strategy is? There's, we don't have the ability to provide visuals right now. and might get something on the blog post. But... Yeah. How can we give the audience a little bit of insight into what motivational interviewing feels like?
0: Yeah. The, I would say that the, the, the core of motivational interviewing is really is that spirit. The spirit that we're in partnership with the client. The spirit that we're accepting of the client. The client isn't broken. The client doesn't need to be fixed. Right? They're who they are and they're, they're good the way they are. Mm-hmm. Uh, And then we're collaborating with the clients to get to where the client wants to go. And we're engaging and evoking the client's more motivation to get to where they want to go. And so what practically that happens is when you think about uh, when you're painting a room or a building, before you start painting, you need to really prime the wall so that the paint can stick. A huge part of motivational interviewing is in priming the wall. And so a lot of what we are doing up front is really approaching clients with curiosity and acceptance in understanding the client's view of their reality. And there's no judgment in the sense that the client feels the and sees the reality that they see, right? There's nothing I can do or say to change what is real for the client. They believe they see the world the way they are. And in the beginning, what I'm focusing on is to really get to a point where there is a understanding between myself and the client that I am hearing the client. I am getting what the client is saying in their way of seeing the world and how they experience the world. And through this process, I am gradually minimizing the resistance and the defensiveness the clients feels so that what i mean by this is and maybe you have this experience when you see somebody doing something that you interpret as this isn't going to end well for you or that i don't believe this is the right thing to do and we might be inclined to say you know before you do that again I think you need to consider this or I think why this doesn't work and why I think that this way is going to work better. And in those instances, depending on the mental state or where the mindset of a client is, they might listen to you and they might say, well, yes, but I tried this already. But you don't understand the situation. But you don't understand why it is that this is going to be the best way right now. And maybe your information isn't perfect. I know something else. and in those instances, anything that we say becomes an obstacle the, the client or whoever is we're talking to have to overcome. That they're not really listening to say, how do I incorporate what you've said? They're listening to say, why this doesn't work, or right, and so on. And so part of really accepting the client, really understanding and hearing where the client's coming from is to minimize that yes but. It's a, is a byproduct as we build rapport. Because when the client feels that I really accurately understand what the client is going through or what the world is like to them, they no longer feel the need to have to explain to me, yes, but this is why what you say doesn't work or why what I'm doing is a better way. Because they feel that I've understood or that I've listened. And through the process of working with clients, a big part of it is keep coming back into this to help the clients feel heard and accepted for where they are right now. And when the client starts, and there's a technique to this, right? There is a technique to this. And what I mean by that is if there is actually a direction the client is trying to go, as the client is saying why they're stuck in place, I am listening to why the clients are stuck in place, but I'm also listening for why the client's feeling or saying that they need to move from here. So I become, this is the guided conversation, I become a mirror where as a client is kind of struggling through all the various voices in their head, I become a mirror that's reflecting the direction that they explain to me of where it is they want to go. And so I might say to a client that, a client who wants to say save enough money to retire when they're 55 instead of 65, but in the meantime, they're spending a lot of money eating out or doing other things. They give, let's just use that as an example. And the client might say that here are all the things why they have to spend the money. I'm working really hard. I need a way to decompress, to relax. It's like I can't keep sacrificing the present for the future. Who knows what's going to happen to me? Now, what if I die tomorrow? And... I spend all my time depriving myself of the joys and saving money, and I mm-hmm. never got to enjoy it. And, and George Kinder's questions, right? Right. Yeah. And, and, and in those moments, so accept that all of those things are true for you, and you're wondering how to enjoy life right now while still making progress toward your goals.
1: Something I'm also hearing from you, and just like I just want to mirror back what what I've heard is that if you go and you see someone doing something, and as you said, like you can tell that it's not going to end well for them. I like that way of phrasing it. Then, if you tell them what to do, that a couple of things happen. One, you're you're like they want to rebel. You're like some some point of opposition, and that also there's all of these internal scripts that start to kick up that really just reinforce the problem and that as a result like you almost even like that's that's getting them even more stuck in their ways and that instead by asking a careful question and listening those things start to allow the person to speak for themselves allow them to reveal what they're saying and as a result they're using that time to understand how they deeply feel about something and even like what I was just hearing you talking about is that by being a mirror for the other person that a part of what you're doing is that you're letting them see and letting them see where they want to be and also letting them see the consequences of those negative behaviors and just like that helps bring it into just a deeper internal understanding so that that way when they like walk out of the client meeting the, it's still it's sticking with them, maybe they're talking about it over dinner, maybe like hopefully, I would think that the conversation is continuing well amongst like I could in the example of a couple, but it leaves the room with them, and they still talk about it for days and think about it for weeks and uh, that's really that's a powerful way to use your time yeah excellent, excellent
0: bearing, Thank you for <laughs> your effective listening I feel heard uh, I would kind of summarize in. Perhaps this way, in a a slightly different maybe analogy. Mm -hmm. And that is that when we see that a client might be doing something that doesn't serve them in the long term, I have this recognition that when we do something, we do it because there is something that our actions, there's a need that we're trying to meet. Whatever it is we do, we're doing it at that moment because we believe that it's going to meet our needs or for something, for comfort, for ease, for connection, for competence, what have you. There is, I'm doing this because there's something within this that I believe is going to help me feel better in some way. Even if we're seeing that whatever it is they're doing may not serve them for the long term, right? They're not doing it because they know it's going to be bad. They're doing it because they believe there's something they're going to get from it, even if it's not conscious. And so in those moments, when we go to them and say, now you shouldn't do this. You should do something else. What we bring up within them, it's all the reasons why they should continue doing the way they, the things they are because there is that need they're trying to meet. Does that make sense?
1: It sure does. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And so in those moments, instead, we kind of understand with them, well, why this is so important for them to continue to do the, way, the things they're doing and understand the need they're trying to meet. We can then... Start asking or understand, well, what are the consequences of continuing the way that you're doing now? And are there other better ways to meet those needs? Mm. And then we start having the client decide for themselves and articulating for themselves the potential negative consequences for them to stay the way they are and the potential positive consequences for them to find a better way to move forward. So the client in that moment is advocating for themselves why they should change and start to feel the consequences of what if they don't. And they're doing it on their own instead of me telling them why something would work and why something wouldn't.
1: And So that sounds like it's also really helping the client understand the, what the delay and gratification is going to bring to their lives. The like, especially like I'm in Portland, Oregon, you're in San Francisco. There's amazing food around every corner and going and it is fun. And so going out to those experiences is a wonderful thing. But if you overinvest in that, then you're also you're borrowing from your future. And just to be able to weigh those decisions as you're going through that, that sounds really helpful. Yeah, yeah. it's to to find
0: what it is that is most important and maybe for the client, this idea of saving for retirement isn't really what's most important. What maybe be most important might be that they get to enjoy more time with their family or that they get to now do something that they're passionately interested in doing rather than what they're doing right now to just make money. And some of those things might be what they can anchor to for why it is that they might choose to not go out tonight and save that money instead. They find their own reason why it is they're going to make the decision.
1: this also a part of, because I mean, you're a career changer into the financial planning profession. Is this a part of like, how did this process, how did motivational interviewing help you when you were in corporate finance and it seems like you were doing great over there and then you pivoted over into financial planning? How is motivational interviewing a part of that?
0: Yeah, I am thinking about my life back then. What was the fear that I felt well, in leaving corporate finance, I was concerned that I'm giving a reasonably high paying job behind, that I have reached a certain level in the corporate ladder that given that I've put so much efforts into it. It was particularly stressful because I've experienced what it was like to not worry about money so much and then all of a sudden to worry about money a lot and finally got into a point where I don't have to worry about money so much again to give that up There's a lot of fear in that. And not just for me, obviously, but for my family, my kids, right? All those things are factors that are playing around in my head. And then there's part of that kinder question of what happens if I were to die tomorrow? What would I regret not having done? What would I regret not having become? And having somebody to fully listen to that answer (laughs) to extrapolate from that answer, to really hear underneath my answer to say, ah, so these are the values you hold most dear, which you, is that, did I get it right? That if those are the values that I hold most dear, what might be some decisions that I'd be willing to make so that I can fully express right? in a way that is, that, in a way that I believe will take care of my family in the long term, in a way that would help me stay true to what I see most important and being in integrity, and be willing to take some risks, be willing to face the uncertainty because I am making the decision that I will find a way to make this happen. Right? So to come to terms that I'm making a decision that's uncertain, that Life has always been uncertain, even if I didn't realize it. Mm -hmm. And be willing to say that I'm going to do what it takes in order to make this happen, because I am. I am. I'm doing this for me. That makes sense.
1: It does. Yeah. And also, what I'm hearing from you is that you know it's helping you pick the point on the horizon that you want to walk towards, and then also as you're on the walk and you're doing that, that when you encounter problems, trials, dark nights of the soul. The knowing where you're going on the horizon helps you get over that obstacle and to your goal. Yes. Yes.
0: And part of the motivational interviewing
1: process
0: is to help the clients paint that picture in their mind and have the clarity, have more clarity. And it's an evolving process, right? It's an evolving life is evolving. And so in working with clients, this is a continuing process to constantly refining, adjusting, and creating the space for the client to feel safe that things are a little different for me now. And this is how things has more for me. And to continue the conversation, we're always priming. We're always priming. And then we take specific actions to paint the picture, to paint the wall. And then we go back to priming again.
1: Mm. So, Do you have to be a life planner as a financial planner to bring these skills into your practice? Or do you think that really any financial planner can bring some of this in and help their clients? I believe that every financial planner can use
0: it to help support their clients. I mean, when you think about, say, a prospecting process, when a client, a potential client calls and want to have a conversation with the financial advisor on, well, what am I going to get out of our work together? And um, motivation interviewing could be a relatively quick and painless process to really hear what it is that the client's really wanting. They might say, this is what I want. Like, I want to save enough money in retirement. I want to get some sort of growth in my investments. I want to figure out what I can afford to buy a house. And within all of those wants is some needs that they believe that they can fill once those things were to happen. And being able to really listen and uh, uncover what those needs are allows us to be able to much more articulate what we can do to meet those needs rather than just the strategy that the clients have kind of presented as This is the strategy I want you to implement for me. Maybe those are the right strategies. Maybe they're not. Uh, this is not the time to disagree with the client, but it gives us a much better perspective on where we might go with this relationship and what we can do to really be helpful for the client.
1: And and how to move past the questions that you hear from or the statements you hear from every prospect. Eventually, that's why they're FAQs. They're frequently asked questions. And so you get to that and then you want to know what's the next level? What are what are some of the steps that you need? What are the other reasons why you came here? And that seems like that's where motivational interviewing really starts to grab some extra traction or even like create that extra traction.
0: Yeah, yes. There's frequently one, for, for many clients, there's an impetus for why it is that they reach out, like why they haven't reached out before and why they're reaching out now. And frequently what they say as the reason why they're reaching out is just, the symptom of what has happened. Mm-hmm. And so motivational interviewing is a way to get to more of the root of what changed. Why is this important now in ways that it hasn't been important in the
1: past? I consider it sometimes folks have uh, presenting issues and then there's core issues, and they're different categories because a presenting issue is something they feel comfortable saying to someone they don't know as well. And then, after this intimacy that's been getting made through the motivational interviewing process, you can start to tap into more of what it is what are the core reasons why they came here? What are, yeah. yeah. So is there a difference between how you would use motivational interviews? Is it just trying to use the same framework in a different way if you were talking to a prospect versus a client? Or is there a different way that you conduct the process with a client versus a prospect?
0: I would describe it this way. There are definitely techniques associated with motivational interviewing, but the guiding principle of it all is the spirit. And the spirit, once we are in that spirit, that is how we interact with clients or prospects. There is no difference. We're constantly working with clients to understand, to hear what they really mean and to be accepting that they're the expert in their lives. They're experts of themselves in ways that we are not. So so that is a constant thing, the constant theme that happens in my interactions with others. And and I also want to be clear, it's called motivation interviewing. But is definitely not an interrogation process, <laughs> right? In, in fact, most of motivation interviewing doesn't involve questions. Most motivation interviewing is simply mirroring and reflecting what the clients are saying. But it's a way of answering, reflecting that furthers the conversation, that furthers understanding. Sometimes I'm making guesses on some things that may be implicit in what the clients are saying, but they didn't articulate. And sometimes I just I'm just kind of trying to, to guess at why it is so important for me to, for you to be telling me this now, why is it so important for me to hear it, this and make a guess on, I'm guessing that this is important because of something. And then let clients correct me if I'm not correct or, or further the conversation by explaining more why this is so important to them. So these are all ways to further the conversation, to go a little deeper without it being like an interrogation.
1: Mm-hmm. And, and I like to just share with the audience a bit because I want to try to create some good examples for them to be able to take away from this podcast. And so I think actually what I'm doing in this conversation is a really good example of it. We have There's, there's a little bit of formatting that we do and we have pre-conversation before so we know where we're going to take everything. But I'm just trying to listen to Joseph here and ask questions that are going to allow him to open up and share a lot of the nuances and some of the deeper feelings about, the, about his expertise here, specifically motivational interviewing, but could be about personality tests or Salesforce or a whole lot of things. It's, it's about trying to ask that question in a way so that the person can share those, those secrets and those nuances. And hopefully we can share it clearly with you in the audience. And um, do you have other ways and other examples that you can highlight for folks, just, uh, you know, even if there's a bullet point of a process they can think about in their head or something like that?
0: Yeah, uh, thank you. And and excellent uh, (laughs) reflection and and mirroring and and summarizing of our conversation. Thank you. One of the things that I want perhaps to give an example is that when, at times, when we have, we're working for, with spouses as examples, where there seem to be each spouse is they're in disagreement because of one person wants this, the other person wants that. For example, one person wants to buy a bigger house and sell their an old house. The other person really wants the house they live in because of the community they build and they really don't want that. It could seem as if they're kind of diametrically opposed, like there's no way to do both. and that. In those moments, if we're able to really hear why it is so important for one person to have the flexibility to sell the current house when they buy a bigger house and why it's so important for the other person to keep this house and kind of go a level underneath, right? Like the reason why I want to keep the house is because of the community I'm built. Well, if you're able to maintain that community you built, what would you have then? Right? I would have a support environment where I can come to this community about what's bothering me or what I'm looking for rather than having my spouse be the only person I do that with and potentially create more conflicts with my spouse. If I have a support system, I am going to be that much more present for my spouse when we're together, and that's going to help strengthen our marriage. So in a funny way, wanting to keep the house isn't about the house. It's about me valuing the relationship and wanting our relationship to be stronger, right? Right. And the other spouse wanting the flexibility of selling a house might be doing it because one, they want to have the freedom. They want to have the autonomy to make those decisions. And if you go a step underneath, it is maybe because that this spouse is wanting to have the freedom, the autonomy to make the decision that he believes is going to be best for their future of the spouse so that there could be more stability more safety for the future and so underneath of the strategy there are two people who are trying to make life better for each other
1: mm-hmm. and, in and those different moments, and different answers but they all both have the same motivation and they both want the same results too right and in
0: those moments there is there can be I, not to put too much into it but in those moments, there's a possibility, right, that they see that the need that they're trying to fill is actually the same, and they, there may be strategies that they can both come to agreement on that can meet both needs. And so one of the things you mentioned earlier is what are some practical things that listeners might be able to do? And one of the things that I would suggest is, you know, have a conversation with somebody, but you literally sit on your hands as the indication that I'm just going to listen. <laughs> Mm-hmm. So the next time you have a conversation and somebody is saying something and they're not coming to you and say, hey, I need you to tell me how to build this shit because they probably asking for specific instructions. But if they're just having a conversation with you and, and, then, and you're wanting to help, to provide input, to say, well, I think you should do this or maybe you have, to, have you considered that or so on, that in those moments, just practice sitting on your hands for that conversation and simply listen and care for what that person is trying to convey. When this person is saying this, what is it that this person is really wanting me to hear and really wanting me to know? And just be good with, I am honored that this person is sharing this with me at that point in time. And see what it's like for yourself and see what it's like for the other person to be able to speak without having to defend, without having to spend a lot of time thinking about how they're going to react to you. They get to just say what's on their mind, completely release what they're holding in their brains, and just see how that experience is like as a first step.
1: And I think it's also really important to add on to it is just Spend your energy listening as fully as possible mm-hmm. and don't really like put mind towards trying to find that next response because the response, like when the person's done, it'll be there and it'll probably be a better question or a better thought because the person's mm-hmm. been able to express themselves fully.
0: Yeah. One, another way to think about this is has somebody come to talk to you. Is this conversation about me or is this conversation about them? When they're coming to talk to me, if I'm able to, at that moment, hold that this conversation is about them, then the first thing I'm going to do is really hear, really listen, and to learn from the other person how I can be helpful. Mm. When I jump in to start offering my perspective without the other person asking for it, without the other person wanting it, then I am now making the conversation about me, about what I want to say to you.
1: And I also think that it just makes it more likely for that. Just the reason, like, well, I need to find a way to know, but I'm right, or you couldn't know, or just doesn't even matter what what specific word someone's attached into that thought. But I think that just the simple differences in the approach make it so that when you're sharing an opinion, maybe someone feels talked down to, maybe they don't feel hard, what whatever. But it it diminishes the conversation, and by listening fully by doing these mirroring practices, by asking the question of what's more and what's next, that the person's able to really like get, get their full point across and feel like when I've done these exercises in Joseph's workshops, that it's really like I've, what I've been listened to that I really just felt just so pleasantly heard and it felt warm. It felt like a nice hug. And when I was doing it with the person and when I was the work, I just I felt like I was really connecting with this person and really understanding what it was that they were trying to tell me and and I think we can bring this to every part of our lives. Obviously, the better we can listen to our clients, the better. The better we can listen to our spouses, the better. I don't have kids. I'm only an uncle. But Joseph, you can tell us about that. But it seems like even just someone that you're meeting on the street, if you can have some of the stuff that you're bringing to the conversation, that it's going to help you be the best person that you can be when you're in these situations and when you're interacting with the world around you. And um of the world you feel like you hear the world better and you feel like the world heard you so
0: yeah yeah it's it's in those moments you're speaking with each other instead of talking at each other you know, I, I do want to pull back a little bit to say what's what makes motivational interviewing different from something like active or authentic listening okay and I, I do want to kind of now bring it back to why I use it in financial planning practices and so on, is that there is a guiding piece to motivation doing? So when I'm making reflections, I am very strategic in what it is I'm reflecting. So that when a client has a, for lack of a better word, a client is spending in such ways that doesn't help them meet their goals or heading in the direction they want to head toward. In those moments when I'm reflecting, I am very purposefully reflecting the pain that they're feeling when they're overspent, the joy that they might feel or the accomplishments that they feel when they're able to make different decisions to focus on planning for their future. So I am not just reflecting everything they're saying. I'm very strategic in what it is I'm reflecting so that I'm helping shape the process without pushing, without pulling, but simply to brush the debris out of the way so that they continue the conversation on their own as to why it is painful for them to keep doing the things they are, they have been, and why it's going to be that much better for them to make some changes and do things differently going forward.
1: So, sort of even just embellishing a bit of what you've heard, but it also with what you're choosing to embellish is highlighting the pain of the negative experience and highlighting the joy of the positive experience. Is that right?
0: So, I, I want to. Maybe it's a little bit more subtle than that, as opposed to balancing, is simply to choosing to acknowledge that there is pain. When like when the client talks about the pain they experience, to simply reflect it, to acknowledge that, yeah, it was painful. Yeah, you wish you didn't do that. And when the client talks about the joys of making different decisions, to be to acknowledge that. And so when somebody says that, this given example, when I bought this purse. It was a really pretty purse. And I really liked it. And after I buy it, I keep thinking to myself, you know, how I'm going to be able to show it off and, and carry it. And at the same time, now, like I realized I blow the budgets I have for shopping this month. And now I'm not sure how I'm going to buy the rest of the stuff that I might want to need. At that point, to be able to reflect that, yeah, there's a lot of, in the moment when you purchase a purse, there was this kind of joy and excitement on what you can do with it. And you are also realizing that you wish that, you know, you want to make sure that you have the resources to do everything else that you need to do for the rest of this month that is going to be very important for you to do. I right, Kind of help, it's kind of like clean the way for them that yes, there was joy. And one of the things that you really wanted to be able to do is to meet your future goals while making sure that you're actually covering all your necessities. And so... I think you you understand what I'm saying is that you you reflect things in such a way that you acknowledge that they were excited about it and at the same time emphasize that they now need to deal with the consequences of the action that they did.
1: Okay. Yeah, folks, I've, I've learned, I've been able to learn from Joseph about this twice so far. And the first time I actually wrote down a task in my task list to have him on the show, and um now I've been able to experience it twice and there's still just a lot to learn. I'm trying to understand this subtlety, and the best metaphor I have is definitely that curling metaphor of getting the getting the debris out of the way and um and then just allowing the person to have their own trajectory is is still where I'm at with it. And um, do I have that right, Joseph? Am I am I getting more clear in my understanding?
0: Yes, I believe so. I really enjoy your way of reflecting and listening to me, so I would say very much so. Thank you.
1: Good, good, that's great and And just we are getting towards the end of our time, so just is there anything else that you want to make sure that the audience knows about?
0: Yeah, so one organization that is well there's a there's a motivational interviewing organization. Uh, it's called mint it's called the motivation interviewing network of trainers and you don't need to be a trainer to access many of the information on that site it's a it's got directory it's got you know various members putting on training so if you're interested in learning more about motivation interviewing that website is a you can, i believe is motivationinterviewing.org but you can google it you can find it it's Talks about, it lists different trainings that might be at different resources that you can do to learn more about this. And also there's the book, the Motivational Interviewing book by William Miller and Steve Rolnick, That is essentially the textbook on motivational interviewing that uh, people can learn more about. The Coaching for Financial Planners class in Golden Gate University uses the motivation Interviewing book as one of the textbooks. And so that would be a class people want to learn more about this topic, but also about coaching in general for financial advisors. That's a great class to take as well.
1: And they're just all of their master's degree curriculum is top notch and um, absolutely encourage folks to check out what they have to offer. Dave is the director of that and he's pretty great. And, um, and there's just basically all of the teachers, Joseph included, are incredible people. And I wholly, wholly encourage you to check out that program. And with that, folks, Joseph, thank you for coming on the show. And I've learned so much, and I hope the audience has as well. It's been great having you.
0: Thank you for inviting me. It's been wonderful being here.
1: And with that, folks, I'll see you on the next episode of Digital Marketing for Financial Planners. Take care and have a great day.